Oh, all right. Well, all right. Let's get to the serious stuff. If you're one of our visitors, this is not all we do. We do love God's word. And uh, let's go to it together. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting in verse 60. And uh, while you find that, I'll tell you that uh, we, we tend to teach through books of the Bible here. So we started in chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, this is, I think, our 43rd uh, message uh, in the Gospel of John. And so here we are in chapter 6, verse 60. And this is God's word. When many of Jesus' disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, back in the day when I was a salesman and uh, I, I sold, oh man, hey, rock on, thank you, thank you. I think we're cool, but thank you so much, Russ, appreciate it. Would you run all over the building? Man, all right, keep that, keep that ambulance uh, handy. Um, thank you so much, Russ. Hey, so um, back when I was a salesman, I sold a whole bunch of things from uh, M&Ms in high school to uh, phone service to bug spray to I sold all kinds of things in my life to securities and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I would read sales books all the time. And there's this one guy, I can't remember his name, but he had a tape series and he had books and stuff like that. And he was highly influential on me. And uh, he would end all the stuff that he would say about accomplishing things and doing things and selling things. He would say, uh, it's simple, isn't it? Not easy, but simple. That was like his catchphrase. And I've never forgotten this. Burned in my mind. It's simple, isn't it? Not easy, but simple. Well, so it is with the gospel of Jesus Christ, friends. Um, it is simple. It's a simple message, but it's not easy. Uh, there are a whole bunch of things about the gospel message that are compelling to an onlooking world, even if they think we're nuts. Uh, even if they think that we believe in fairy tales, there are elements about the gospel that are highly appealing, like redemption. People love the idea of redemption. Meaningful movies have some form of redemption, where a person uh, climbs out of something or gets another chance or uh, is able to overcome odds. Um, we find that appealing, and, and the gospel offers redemption. That is, that is certainly um, magnetic. How about this? Forgiveness. No matter where you come from, um, it's at least compelling that uh, the Christian gospel offers forgiveness, that uh, the things you've said and done in the past that you're ashamed of, that you feel the weight of uh, uh, guilt over can be lifted. That's at, least a, that's at least an engaging message. How about this? Peace with God. Um, to have a heart that is settled with God, that is okay with God, that is received by God freely, where you don't have to go, oh, God is frowning on me all the time. Uh, that's, um, that's, really, 
That's really uh, alluring, isn't it? How about this? Peace within your own self. You know, um, you, you, um, the idea of a relieved conscience, um, the idea that uh, your life can have meaning, that we can know why we're here on this earth, um, that, 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 um, that uh, there's, a, there's a reason for all the experiences that we go through. Those are all compelling things that are contained in the gospel. They're alluring. They're even magnetic. Um, it's easy, but it's not that simple to believe. There's, there's easy stuff in there, but it's not that simple. Um, you know, here's a gospel concept that you can understand. You go to Target, and you're going to buy somebody a gift card and put it in their sock at Christmas time. So you go to Target, and you pick up any one of these gift cards off the rack, and what are they worth when you pick them up off the, off the rack? Zero. They're not worth anything. And you hand it to the person, and they say, uh, and you're, you know, your credit card's in the thing, and uh, they say, how much would you like to put on that? And you say, um, I don't know, $30. And they say, okay. And so $30 gets sucked out of your bank account or gets put on that credit card or that debit card, and all of a sudden it shows up on this thing, and it's as good as cash, and you hand it to somebody, and they know what it's all about too. They know that the card's been loaded, that, the, uh, that your money's been reckoned to this card's account, and that now it, it's in possession of someone else. That is the gospel message. That's the essence of the gospel message, that Christ's righteousness is put on our card. And our guilt, our filth, our unworthiness before God, our sin debt is put on Christ's account. It's an exchange. It is reckoned to one account or another. That is the gospel message. And it's so simple, but it's not easy. In fact, uh, per the Lord Jesus Christ, if you trust his own words, um, he says that it's impossible to believe by a person's own intellect and will and earnestness of heart. Um, Don't look, okay? This is something we just read. Don't look, all right? But in one of the verses we just read, it says this. It is the spirit who blank. The flesh is no help at all. It is the spirit blank. The flesh is no help at all. What goes in the blank? It is the spirit who gives life. That's that's the hard thing. And Jesus didn't get that from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul got it from the Holy Spirit of God. Um, the gospel message is simple, but it's not that easy to believe. Um, well, we left off last time with verse 59. <clears throat> um, if you look at it, it says that Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, these things that we're, we're talking about here, these things that uh, disciples heard and were now grumbling about and they're taking offense at, these things are pretty much the whole, the whole storyline that starts with the feeding of the 5,000, all right? So at the beginning of chapter 6, um, the, this crowd follows Jesus, and he feeds them, and uh, it's many thousands of people, and uh, these things are everything uh, spoken forward, really, from verse 22 and forward, but it, it's all anchored in the feeding of the 5,000 that started back in verse 1. Um, and you notice also that in our passage today, I scooped up verse 66. We'll look at verse 66 more next time, but I scooped it up. Because if all you looked at, friends, was verse 60 and verse 66, if you just opened your Bible and you said, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? And then verse 66, at this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Would you not be intrigued as to what turned this large amount of people against this person that they were following? I mean, would that not be intriguing to you? Um, that, that, That people actually quit 
Jesus uh, at that point? Well, let's look at our first point together, uh, which is a hard saying. You can see that I get that right from the passage. Um, many of his disciples heard, that, heard all these, this stuff that Jesus is talking about. <coughs> they say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, let's pause there for just a second to identify just who is hovering around Jesus at this point. You know, we hear the word disciples and we think, oh, the 12 guys who, who are in Jesus' inner circle. Um, but really, it's a larger group. There, there's a large group following Jesus around. Um, and, you know, it's like that with any leader or teacher. There, there's, there's, a, a, there's a group of people. And I, but, I, but I think when we read disciples here, it's, it's not good to just lump them into one big category. You know, you got the 12, and then you got this mass of people, and, and we just kind of read that, and we just blow right over it. But, you know, there are, there are layers, just like here, uh, just like following any leader, there are layers of, of interest. There are layers of support, layers of belief in this person who's being followed. For instance, when I first moved to Memphis, I worked at an office building, and down the hall was a young uh, campaign manager Republican guy and I mean, he had a white Oxford shirt, he had starched duck head pants, he had a rep tie, and he was a Republican, and he ran the um, Victor Ash campaign in Memphis. Uh, you remember Victor Ash? Uh, you don't remember? Bulldog Tough. Um, uh, down home, what was it? There was a jingle. I, 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 could, I, could thought, I thought of it yesterday. It's escaping me now. But uh, there was a jingle, and he was Bulldog Tough, Victor Ash. And you know, I ended up voting for Victor Ash because I befriended this guy down the hall, and, and I, I thought it was interesting what he was doing and all the campaigning stuff, and that was all new to me. I'd never seen that before. I ended up voting for Victor Ash, but, you know, if I were a disciple, if you would call me that, I was way far removed from Victor Ash. Uh, this guy has probably been in the room with Victor Ash at some point, but it's not like he's golfing with Victor Ash. He's like the Memphis young, you know, 20-something guy who runs the office, you know? Um, <clears throat> and yet, Victor Ash probably had an inner circle of people who were much closer in a cabinet and all that kind of a thing. And so it's like that with all kinds of leadership. Um, you're going to have, you know, rings around that leader of different, different uh, uh, levels of support and belief and so on. I say all that because I don't think it's good for us to just lump all these disciples uh, into one big uh, category. Rather, I think it's something that we can relate to. Uh, we look at this world, and um, there are always people with varying interests in this Jesus. I mean, like I said at the beginning, the gospel is at least interesting. There are at least compelling aspects to it. Um, and, um, you know, some people are interested in Jesus because they see him as uh, some kind of uh, celestial vending machine where they can get stuff. Um, you know, hopefully a BMW and, uh, you know, some other fine things, depending on what uh, preacher you're listening to. Um, they kind of like, they, they kind of think, hey, lay it on me, man. I'd like to win the lottery. This Jesus sounds interesting. So you've got some of those kinds of people. Uh, how about this? Um, there are people who follow Jesus who view him as a sweet little character like Gandhi or Mother Teresa, and he's just a, a sweet kind of like the scrawny guy in the paintings, and, and they have a perception of, the, of Jesus in that way. Um, there are other people who um, view this Jesus, but they divorce him from his divinity. And uh, that is quite a, that's a castrated uh, view of uh, the God-man, isn't it? Um, and so there are accuracies and inaccuracies. And then, of course, there are people who are redeemed, um, who have been made alive, who um, believe in Christ as exclusive Savior, and yet 
Some of those people have some wonky theological baggage, don't they? There are some denominations that have some weird distinctions uh, all over the world, and uh, you know, none of none of us are, are have a perfect theological system on this side of heaven. Um, and all, also, there are people who are on the fringe. I mean, you see that in, your, in the Christian life. You see it in, in this, uh, your own church, that there are people who just kind of live on the fringe like some 37-year-old bong-hitting gamer in grandma's basement, you know? Uh, that's how they kind of go to church. That's kind of how they view Christianity. Um, and so they live on the fringe. And so you've got this group of disciples around Jesus, just like you've got a group of disciples or, or people who are at least interested in Jesus today. Um, in, uh, let's see here, verse... 37. Listen to this. In verse 37, it says of of chapter 6, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Boy, that's quite a thing, isn't it? The Father gives people to Jesus, and whoever the Father gives to Jesus, Jesus won't cast out and is going to preserve him. How about this in verse 39? Um, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. I mean, that is very, that's personal and profound. The Father gives people to Jesus, and those people who have been given to Jesus will come to Jesus, will be preserved by Jesus, and will be raised up on the last day. It will happen. Well, that's... that's, um, that's, that's quite a thing. Well, but put that together with verse 64. Um, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. You know, there are those who have thrown themselves at the cross in belief, and there are those who haven't. And friends, uh, like it says in verse 60, this is a hard saying. Now, when the people say, this is a hard saying, They're hearing Jesus talk about what he came to do. He's relating himself to the Father. He's saying that the Father gave him people, and the people that the Father gave him are going to come to him, are going to believe, and they they, they go, this is a hard saying, man. This is a hard saying. Who can believe it? They they struggle with it. Now, when they say it's a hard saying, they don't mean that it's hard to understand. In fact, they don't ask for clarification. In fact, in verse 66, we're told that a, a whole bunch of them turned away and just left. They did understand. They did understand what he was saying. That's why they left him. They did not believe. You know, we all like the idea of order in the universe. We like that. Uh, We like the idea of a reason for living. We like the idea of the notion of someone who is greater than us, who cares about us and loves us and helps us, God, the the notion of God. We, We at least like that idea. Even if a person doesn't believe it, we like that idea. But, you know, we want to have it in our own packaging. We want to be the author of what makes things right or wrong, and Christ confronts that directly. Um, Here's what he says in chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a pretty conclusive statement, isn't it, by the Savior? How about chapter 10, verse 28? Um, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Wow, if you don't have eternal life that Jesus gives, you're perishing. It's a pretty hard statement. 
hard to, hard to believe, isn't it? Um, uh, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one, and the Jews pick up stones to stone him because they get what he's saying. He's making these giant, sweeping, conclusive statements about himself and what he came to do. He's not shying away. He's not speaking in great terms. He's telling them who he is. Um, How about chapter 11, verse 25? 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What a statement. And how about chapter 14, uh, verses 6 through 9? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Um, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, what a thing to say. These are not uh, gray claims. These are not little uh, religious statements. These are, these, are, these are messianic declarations. Jesus is making them about himself. All right, so <clears throat> application for your life. Why does this matter to you like right now? Well, you know, in verse 64, it says that... Um, there are some of you who don't believe Jesus knew from the beginning uh, who, there, who would believe and who would betray him. He knew Judas was going to betray him the whole time. He knew who would believe. You see, there is this starkness of grace, isn't it? Um, there's no fog in front of the headlights. Verse 64 might seem a little harsh. There are some who are not going to believe. Jesus knows who they are. There are some who will believe. Jesus knows who they are. Um, and, you know, a heart may see that. And, uh, and even feel a little bit of a tinge and go, ooh, gosh. You mean some people the Father gave to Jesus and some people apparently weren't given by the Father to Jesus and whoever does um, believe are, are going to be safe and those who don't believe are going to perish. That seems like a pretty hard thing. Mm. Indeed, um, they, don't, they don't deserve to be cast away uh, from God's love and uh, presence, uh, do they? Yes, they do. Yes, we do. Why? Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? You are? I mean, you've, you've, you've thrown yourself at the foot of the cross, and you say, I'm exclusively believing in Jesus, what he did on the cross in my place. He took the punishment for me. You believe that? Why do you believe that? Because you're so smart? Because you're better? Because you're a, you're a you're a, a better moral person. You know, I'm straying from my notes here a little bit, but uh, <clears throat> there, there's a song we sing in senior high, and it's, it's fine. It's fine that we sing it in senior high. Um, it's, the, uh, uh, it's, it's the one that says, uh, oh, yeah, it's uh, Good, Good Father. You've heard the song Good, Good Father? Anybody heard the Good, Good Father? You know, I, I sang at a wedding uh, at another church, and, they, and the good, good father was in it, and the worship leader handed me his guitar. He said, hey, since you're singing anyway, lead him in good, good father. And I was like, I barely know it. <laughs> but now we do it in senior high. It's fine. It's fine. But you know, I don't like the first line. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories about what they think you're like. I don't like that. 
I think it's dumb writing. Uh, and I also don't like the, the tude. Oh, there's a they out there. Oh, they. The, I've heard the foolish stories of the they out there about what they think you're like. Unlike me, what I know you're like. I just think it's arrogant, man. I just think it, it, it smells of it smells of a lack of understanding of grace, in my opinion. That's why we don't do it in the big, the big room. Um, I, I think it's fine for senior high. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's horrible or harmful. I just don't feel like I can, I can put it out there uh, in the big hall. Um, friends, there's a sin problem. We're all infected. It's just like zombies. Any zombie fans in here? Who's a, I, 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 can almost, I can almost guess who you are. Uh, and then there's always like a few like, oh, like, wow, what a surprise, you know. But uh, if you know anything about zombies, um, you know, we're all infected with the zombie virus. Uh, and if you die, then you turn into a zombie too, uh, uh, unless, you know, you get double tapped. Anyway, there's a lot of rules about zombies. But, um, but, but zombies are dead men walking. They're like a guy on death row who's sentenced to death but isn't killed quite yet, didn't totally out yet. They're, 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 they're dead men walking, these zombies, and they're, they're, they're all infected. They've all got this death sentence, and they're all cut off from the life of the living. Uh, they're all cut off from, spiritually speaking, we're cut off from spiritual life. We're cut off from healthfulness. Uh, we're cut off from a right relation of God and the right way of living. And just, just like in a quarantine, um, there's a strict barrier between that which is clean and that which is contaminated. That, again, is the, is the problem of sin. God is clean, and you can't have contaminated things by clean things, or the clean thing is what? Contaminated. God can't cease to be who he is. He can't have contamination in his presence. Friends, that's why the Savior came. Make no mistake, Jesus carefully defines himself as the only path to the Father. Why? Because he's the righteousness of God, and that righteousness of God lived a human life that was perfectly lived so that he could take the penalty for you, so that his righteousness could be put on your target card of your heart, and you could be received by God. Hey, um, let's look at one little thing together, and we'll move on to the next point, and uh, we'll step on the gas here. Look, flip ahead to 2 Timothy. So you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, um, Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> Paul is writing this to Timothy, and he says, um, preach the word. Uh, chapter 4, verse 2 of 2 Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Friends, do not forget that. There are pressures on the church at all times to water down the gospel, to tailor it a little bit to the culture, to kind of cave in a little bit, um, to give in on things because of um, social mores. That, that creep in, uh, things that you never dreamed of 10 years ago are now a reality, and there are pressures on the church. You give into those, you, you throw out God's word, um, you, you might just be a person with itching ears, and, uh, and uh, the, the, the price tag might be that you were never a believer to begin with. Uh, scary stuff. Jesus has declared a 
that he's the only way, the truth, and the life. It's God's way, no other way. All right, uh, second point, the offensive Savior. Well, that wasn't offensive enough. Jesus says, he goes, um, <clears throat> yeah, they, they say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? You know, who can receive it? And uh, rather than back off, Jesus, knowing in himself that they were grumbling, he says, do you take offense at this? Um, that word offense, the Greek word, is uh, scandalizo. That sound familiar to you? Scandal? Uh, that's why uh, other translations say this. Uh, doth this stumble you? Here's another one. Doth this scandalize you? You take offense? Does it scandalize your heart? Bothers you, huh? Um, oh, this is a hard saying. <laughs> Jesus, wow, your association with God, you're the only way, uh, the exclusivity of the gospel, hard things you're claiming for yourself. And Jesus doesn't back off. He goes, hey, how about this then in verse 62? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Heaven. I mean, he goes right back into it and goes, I'm divine. Oh, you, that offensive? How about this? I, was, I came from God, and I'm going to go back to God. What about that? Hey, by the way, in Galatians 5.11, uh, Paul writes of the offense of the cross. You know, he's, he's saying, um, he, he's talking basically about the gospel, and he says if you add anything to the gospel, no matter how, um, how uh, lovely for the Jew, uh, if you add any baggage to the gospel message of, of this Messiah, the offense of the cross would be removed. Paul talks about the offense of the cross. Guess what word he uses? Scandalon. Same, same word. What is it that's so scandalous about Jesus? Well, there's a few things that are scandalous about Jesus. Um, I've got a good quote here in a second, but about this. Jesus associates himself with the Father. He calls God Father. No one did, that sounds common to us, but no one did that before Jesus. He's calling God his heavenly Father. That is, was shocking to those hearers. How about this? Uh, he said he was greater than Moses. Well, in the Jews' mind, ain't nobody greater than Moses. I mean, he led the Egyptians out of captivity. He was used of God that they might worship God in the desert. I mean, no one was a greater uh, figure than Moses, and Jesus is saying he's greater than Moses. What a claim. How about this? Uh, this is offensive. He speaks in terms of eternality as to what he can do. He is applying divine attributes to himself. He speaks of eternality. How about this? He didn't come to satisfy their temporal agenda. He didn't come to rescue them from Roman occupation and set up an earthly kingdom where everyone's going to serve him. No, rather he came to serve, set up a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom within the heart, a kingdom where God is worshiped. Um, that was, a, that was a disappointing to them. Um, how about this? Jesus coming as Savior um, condemns us. It, it basically says, if, if, if uh, you hold up the cross of Christ and you say, Jesus died for your sins on this cross, what does it do? It condemns you morally. It says you're not good enough to be in God's presence. You are condemned morally. Not that you don't have intrinsic worth as a human being. It is that that worth has been tarnished, uh, has been marred by the effects of sin. You are not morally acceptable to God. That's a hard truth. That's a hard saying. How about this? Um, Jesus' message disallows us from contributing to salvation. 
We want to say, well, I've done this, this, and this, and I've tried to be the very best that I can be, and do you know how much money I've given to this cause or that? Or I built the wing on the hospital when you drive by on the expressway. That's my name up there on the wing. You're saying that that's not good enough? Uh-uh. Well, that's a hard saying. How about this? The cross excludes all other ways of being okay with God. There's an exclusivity to this Jesus that cannot be denied that that's what he preaches. Well, that's a hard saying. Can you believe it? Well, listen to this quote. This is, some, this is a guy quoting a guy in his book, but this is Martin Lloyd-Jones. You know, if Dr. Young loves Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's been highly influential on me too. Um, <clears throat> but I'm paraphrasing some of this, but this is awesome. He says, um, what the gospel says to every one of us is most galling to the natural man. It seems to him to be completely insulting and humiliating because it does not come and tell us that we only have to live a good life and that we only have to look at the Lord Jesus and see his perfect example and follow him and practice imitating him, and that will be enough. We're just going to see Jesus as an example, and we're going to go, you know what? I'm going to strive for that example as hard as I can, and that'll be enough. The gospel says no, no. Um, the message is not, I love this, the message is not to look at Jesus as the great moral exemplar or a great teacher. It is to look at Jesus as a man with a crown of thorns upon his brow and an agonized expression on his face, crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is what you are called to look at, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is what it is to look upon Jesus and live, not to see him as a little moral example and then we go out and work at it as hard as we can. Rather, to see the one who pays the penalty. All right, let's move on to our last point. Um, Get the order right. The spirit, not flesh. Uh, Look at verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Friend, who is doing what? Um, The Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit of God, gives life. The flesh is no help at all. How about this? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to see its completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who is doing what? Who is starting what? It is God commencing a good work. It is God carrying that work out to the end. You know, we got these, uh, these remaining verses, 50, uh, excuse me. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me skip that. I, for, look at verse 66, 65. Um, Jesus said, this is why I told you, check it, that no one can Come to me, unless it is granted him by the Father. No one can come unless it is granted him by the Father. If you believe Jesus' words, then then there's only one chance for you, that it is granted you by the Father that you might live and believe. All right, let's close up with this. (coughs) When I was in, you know, when I was in seminary, I took some classes from RTS, and then I got my degree from Covenant, and none of those RTS classes transferred over to Covenant because I had too long of a gap and I'm a terrible student and, uh, and, and all that stuff and I, it wasn't very smart. But when I took, I took some courses at RTS, 
there was this one course in particular. I can't exactly remember the professor. I think I know who it was, but I was sitting on the front row, and I, I, it, was, it was kind of fun because I never took any notes. Everybody else is scribbling, 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 and I had a microcassette recorder, and I would just record the entire course, just hour after hour after hour. And when it came time to, type, to take the exam, I would transcribe the whole thing and then take the test. And it was great because I heard it, I heard it again, I typed it, it was in my head, I take the test, I get a B. Oh. Um, that's kind of my style. Uh, and so what was kind of cool, though, is because, because everybody else is, has their head down, I'm just sitting like this, the professor tends to stare at me the whole time. And so I kind of feel like I'm getting this one-on-one education. Well, it also kind of put a spotlight on me. And so this professor was talking about a, the, a penal substitutionary atonement. Well, here's how mature I am. I could not stop laughing. I mean, when he said penal, I, I just, I was just, I, I knew it was stupid. I knew it was immature. I knew it was junior high-ish. But I mean, I was just shaking. I was laughing so hard. He kept saying it. He kept saying it. Penal, substitutionary, atonement. Anyway, it's lodged in my brain. Um, but that's the, that's the thing, friends. You know, there's a penal farm You know why it's the penal farm? Because you're penalized when you break the law. When you're guilty and the penalty is given to you, you go to the penal farm. Well, that's the idea, friends. It is a penal substitutionary atonement. That is the offense of the cross. That's what makes it scandalous. That's what makes it a hard teaching. That's what makes it simple, but not easy. Not easy. The sinner is guilty and helpless, and without hope, and without God in the world. That is one offensive message. But Jesus is the one remedy. As Jesus says more than once in this gospel, do you believe? He's the one remedy. Do you believe? To have him, you've got to accept the real him, and you have to suspend all rights and privileges to him. That is the gospel message, to to look on the Savior um, as penal substitutionary curse bearer so that you might live. Um, simple message, not easy. Let's pray. Father, um, we come before you with hearts that are um, profoundly grateful for this gospel message, but also um, profoundly, beautifully uh, befuddled as to why we believe as to why we were given to the Savior by the Father, as to why we will be preserved by the Savior's work if we believe Jesus' own words. It's a profound mystery, O oh God. Um, we, we don't know how, we, how, how this transaction comes about in our hearts where we say we throw ourselves at your mercy. But Lord, thank you for the mercy that's available Thank you for the summons to all of creation to throw themselves at your feet. And thank you, O oh God, that the work of Christ has been started and will be completed. Um, we pray, Lord, that uh, we'll rejoice over that for your glory. We pray that it'll change the way we live in the next day and the next week. And we pray that you'll bind us together in the beauty of this gospel as we move into this year. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.